Mark chapter 10, we'll be looking at the first 12 verses in Mark chapter 10. Now as we get started, I want to put us in the right mindset to look at this passage of scripture. Because in Mark chapter 10, the Pharisees asked Jesus about divorce, and we get the teachings of our Lord about marriage and, and about divorce. And this is a topic that has touched everyone in this room. Whether you have just celebrated your 50th wedding anniversary or whether you are on your third marriage, divorce in some form or fashion has touched you personally in your life. It's been somebody you know, somebody close to you, maybe yourself. And I know that as we go through these painful moments, as, as we experience the pain brought on by divorce, whether it was our parents that were splitting up or whether it was us, people have gone to passages like this and have kind of used them, well, let's be honest, have kind of beat us with them. Uh, a friend of mine, he and his wife were married for 20 years. And after 20 years, the children had grown up and had moved out of the house, and he and his wife found out that they didn't know each other anymore. And she left him. She left him. And they got divorced. And he was single for a few years, and after he'd been single for a few years, he reconnected with his high school girlfriend. And they married. And so, he and his new wife are attending church with her family. And they're sitting in Sunday school and they're studying this passage. And his father-in-law says that I believe that those who have married, have been divorced and remarried are living in adultery. His father-in-law tell, tell, says this in Sunday school class. And so this is a pretty sore subject for a lot of people. And I understand why. And so when we read this passage, I don't, we're not going to talk about, that's not the gist of this passage. And so I don't want you to put your guard up and say, I'm not listening, I've heard all this, I'm tired of this, I'm weary. No, don't do that. Y'all stay with me. Because what Jesus is going to do, as he teaches on the subject of marriage and divorce, he's going to point out to the Pharisees their sin. And the sin of the Pharisees in Mark chapter 10 is not limited to their marital habits but in how they interpret the scripture to begin with. Yes. And what the Pharisees were known for was taking scripture out of context and using scripture to justify their own sin while condemning others for theirs. Mm -hmm. You see, in life, there are two things. There's God's will. There's what God wanted. There's the way God designed it. The way God intended for it to work. And then there's the way it actually turned out. And the reason it turned out less than what God intended is because of man's sin. You see, God's will was for us to live in a perfect environment. The Garden of Eden. God's will was for us to have plenty. Again, the Garden of Eden. He told Adam and Eve, of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat, except for this one. God's will was for us to have perfect health, perfect marriages, perfect love, perfect harmony, not just between each other, but perfect harmony between God and man. 
You read Genesis chapter 2, where's God? He and Adam are walking in the garden. They are talking. I mean, this is not, God was not an abstract theological concept for Adam. Adam had seen God face to face. Can you imagine what that must have been like? That's what God intended. God intended to spend time with us, to be present and tangible. And he intended on man living up to his potential. But we didn't do that. We sinned against God. We tried to do it without God. We tried to do it our own way. And that resulted in a lot of things that were never God's will. God told Adam in the day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Man ate of the fruit. Man died. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that by one man sin came into the world and death by sin. And so that death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Death never was God's will. I should not have a job as a hospice chaplain. That position should not exist. Hospice shouldn't exist. But we have death. We have disease. Why? Because of sin. We have war. You think what's going on in the Middle East was what God wanted? No. War. Conflict. Broken families. Strife. Fights within the church. You think that's what God set out to create? No. Pain, separation, heartbreak, poverty, want, victimhood. These are things, God did not create us for these things. It's not God's will. You say, well, God works it all in his plan. That's a different concept than it being God's will. God's will is what he created you to be. God's will is what he created us to do. God's will is what he created this world to be. Now, we mess it up. And God is the master of reconciliation, of redemption, of restoration. He can take a total tragedy and work it into his plan that it comes out to something good in the end. But that does not mean that the tragedy was what he wanted. In today's passage... We see divorce. I'm going to read the scripture. And we'll let the scripture talk to us about this. In Mark chapter 10 verse 1 the Bible says, He arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resorted unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? That's important. This is their motivation. This is the premise behind the question. And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. So then they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house, his disciples asked him again of the same manner. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. 
And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. To understand that, you have to understand what the Pharisees were doing. It wasn't adultery as long as you were married. And so if the Pharisee's wife no longer pleased him, and he found somebody else he liked, he divorced her and married the new person that he liked. And Jesus said that's nothing more than formalized adultery. We talk about divorce in this passage, and we're talking about it in light of what is God's will and what has actually come about because of man's heart and man's actions. God never intended on divorce, yet God still works his will in the brokenness of divorce. God never intended on marriages to break up, on, on people to split up, on families to be broken, Yet, God created a way for people to be redeemed and restored from that experience. In verse 5, Jesus said, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Divorce was not allowable under the Old Testament law simply because the people were going to do it anyway. Divorce was allowable to protect those in failing marriages. If a Pharisee couldn't divorce the wife he didn't like, what was he going to do with her? That was put in there to protect the wife from the hardness of the Pharisee's heart. Many who have studied this passage have made it a marriage passage. And indeed, there is a lot to learn from marriage by the words of our Lord. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Jesus said in verse 6, God made them male and female. That is God's plan for marriage. One man, one woman. The first time we see this concept violated is still in the beginning, back in Genesis chapter 5. When we see a man named Lamech that took two wives. He violated God's plan for marriage. And we see throughout the scriptures, there are men who violated God's plan for marriage. Jacob. You might be able to blame uh, his father-in-law, Laban, for that. He wound up married to four women. Abraham. You know about Sarah. You know about Hagar. There was a third wife that is mentioned after the death of Sarah. King David had issues. We're reading through the Bible with the kids at night. And we were reading through the life of David over the past few days, he had a messed up marriage life. That wasn't God's will. God still worked through it. But God's will was for one man and one woman. In today's time, we have same-sex marriage. You may know somebody that's in that lifestyle. You may love somebody in that lifestyle. Have concern for them. I'm not telling you not to. I know people that are in that lifestyle. My, my heart goes out to them. I want to see them redeemed. But God's will for marriage is one man, one woman. The Bible tells us that man should leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. That means that what is the forefront of his life is his union with his wife. She's not an asset. She's not part of the puzzle. And ladies, this applies to you too. The Bible 
preaches at us men because we're supposed to take leadership and we are supposed to teach the family and we're supposed to take responsibility. But this applies to women too. Women are supposed to leave father and mother and cleave unto their husbands. Yes. Husband and wife cleave together. They are the forefront of each other. They are one flesh. They're not part of each other's equation. Visiting with a young man one day and he's telling me about his life's plan. I'm going to get this. I'm, I'm going to t- pursue this career. I'm going to p- purchase this home. I'm going to have this level of financial stability, and then I'm going to find me a wife. She's a part of the she's a she's a piece of the of the puzzle. There, she's a piece of the equation. She's a she's a factor. She's a a variable. No, she's not X. She's not Y. She's not Z. She's not the square root of seven. She is the equation. That's it. Man should cleave to his wife. They should be united as one. And in verse 8, Jesus said that, or excuse me, verse 9, Jesus said, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. He's saying divorce is not God's plan. Divorce is not God's will. And when God has joined two together, when man goes to break that up, man is going against God's will. But anybody who has ever lived life knows that life gets turned sideways that life gets turned upside down that unforeseen things happen that tragedy happens that the unthinkable happens and so god wrote into his law certain pressure release valves that allow for redemption and restoration and reconciliation and for folks to be rescued and that's what the laws on divorce were in the old testament now the pharisees often got divorced and used the old testament law to justify themselves and in doing so they ignored the scripture that taught god's will on the subject and in ignoring that they ignored god's will and that sin and that's what jesus points out when they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? No, they didn't say that. They said, shall a man put away his wife? Uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus said, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses commanded us to write a bill of divorcement, to, 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 give a, to grant a divorce. When Jesus said, what did Moses tell you? He's talking about those first five books of the law. Yes. The first place they go is in this scripture in the Old Testament that you may have never read about divorce but jesus says let's go back to the beginning of the book Mm -hmm. what did god design what did god lay out see the pharisees approached the scripture with the wrong premise their premise was to justify their actions their decisions themselves by finding a bible verse to justify themselves and really when we go to the scripture we should be looking for god's will and his desire and try to conform ourselves to that when studying scripture, and this is, what, this is the bigger issue here. This is what we want to talk about this morning. When studying the scripture, we must first begin with the right premise. And the right premise is learning about God and his will. Mm-hmm. The second thing we need to do is understand that God's word makes allowances for man's brokenness but it does not promote or encourage the brokenness. And finally, 
As we learn God's will from the scriptures, we need to be obedient to God's will. Amen. So let's talk about studying God's word with the right premise. When studying God's word, we must begin with the right premise. In verse 2, And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? Now the premise of the question is not to seek a deep theological truth. The premise of the question is not to get an answer to the question. The Pharisees were not struggling to figure out what the Bible meant and they had two sides of the issue and they went to Jesus and said, hey Jesus, what's the answer to this question? Like, I believe in a post-tribulation rapture. Members of this church believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And we have scripture. Both of us can, can provide scriptures to support our position. I have a legit reason for believing what I believe. The brother that believes in a pre-tribulation rapture has a legit scriptural reason to believe in what he believes. All right? Which one of us is right? If Jesus were here, we could go up and say, hey, Jesus, straighten us out here. Jesus would have done that. That's not what the Pharisees are doing here. The Pharisees ask the question, the Bible says in verse 2, to tempt him. That means to test him. This means to try to find an avenue in which they can find a weakness in the theology of Jesus so that they can debate him and then discredit him. And in discrediting Jesus, they justify themselves. Because what Jesus was teaching out of the scriptures and what he was teaching as God in the flesh went right against their practices. He taught them to have compassion on the poor. They believed the poor deserved to be poor. He taught them that God loved the poor. They believed that the poor were dirty and outcast, and the reason they were poor was because they were wretched sinners. He taught that the Pharisees were seeking the applause of men rather than the applause of God. They thought their wealth was a sign of God's favor. You see, everything Jesus taught went right against the way the Pharisees thought. Well, boy, that ain't the way we see it back where I come from. The Pharisee, where you come from, ain't that great. I can't say that. Jesus can. Mm -hmm. But that's what they were doing. They were using Scripture to justify themselves. When we use Scripture to discredit others, we violate its true meaning. And when we use Scripture to justify ourselves, we violate our, its true meaning. Scripture should not make us feel righteous. Mm -hmm. Scripture should show us our imperfections and what we should still strive to do. Yes. Sometimes I come in here and I preach a message and you may think, man, Leland was really stepping on my toes today. Mm -hmm. uh, stepped on mine first, okay? Yeah. And if I get my toes stepped on, it's only fair you get yours stepped on, all right? <laughs> Sometimes I have to go back and tell Jessica she was right about something. <laughs> I read it in the Bible. I don't always do that as much as I should. But sometimes that has to happen. All right? Verse 9. So the, the question was, the question was, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And, and Jesus said, what did Moses tell you? And they come right out with, Moses commanded us. Notice that he commanded us. In verse 4, to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. 
They totally missed the book of Genesis. Jesus said in verse 9, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Regarding marriage, God's will is for husband and wife to stay together. Sometimes that cannot happen. We'll talk about that in a few minutes, why that can't happen in some cases. But but if if there's something happening in that marriage that they can't stay together, what's happening in that marriage is not God's will. And so it's not God's will that it break up. But sometimes it has to happen. And that was the point of the law on divorce. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote this precepts. The precepts were not written because God wanted divorce. The precepts were written because God knew what man was going to do. And he had to provide that pressure release. Mm -hmm. Now, what did God want, though? For marriage, what did God want? He wanted husband and wife joined together, one flesh. But the Pharisees had skipped right over that because they were trying to justify themselves. Regarding Scripture, we must seek God's will. So when we're reading Scripture, our question is, what does God mean? Not, what can this mean? Or could this mean this? Or would it be possible to do that and still be kind of in line with the Scripture? A fellow pastor asked a question on Facebook the other day. He says, can you use the salt and the light analogies in Matthew chapter 5 to justify church perpetuity? And I said, I see how you can put together a logical syllogism. Because this guy's educated, I've got to use words like that. I said, I see how you can put together a logical syllogism, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. So you've got a fairly thin argument. You stick to what Jesus is talking about. Salt and light. He's talking about how we're to impact the world by the way we live our lives. That's it. It's what does God mean, not what can this passage mean. Mm -hmm. What is God's message? What is God's will? But the Pharisees had rejected this approach, and instead, they're asking the question, what can I get away with? And it's interesting because this Pharisee, he can divorce his wife, marry his secretary, divorce his secretary, marry the intern, divorce the intern, marry this other woman down the street. He's justified. The publican whose wife left him, he's a bad guy. Same Pharisee, different approaches, different applications to different people. The approach of the Pharisees, what can I get away with? is not much different than Satan's approach in the garden. The Pharisee looks at a passage of scripture and tries to find a way to justify himself in it. Satan in the garden, as the serpent, his question was, hath God said? Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? That's what Satan asked. The emphasis had gone from what God wanted to what you could get away with. When we learn to read the scriptures in light of what God wants, in light of what God's will is, we will find a power in the scriptures that is out of this world. If you read the Bible like you read the Constitution of the United States, it's a document. There's good things in this document. Lots of good things in this document. I'm kind of fond of the Constitution. I love the Declaration of Independence. You want to talk about a document. (laughs) 
We were created equal by God with certain inalienable rights that no government can take away from us. I love that. And when the government takes it away, we have the God-given right to take up arms to defend these. I love that. It's not scripture, but I love it. But if you read the Bible like you read the Constitution, what is the definition of this word? What's the legal definition of this word? Does this... Does this practice still fall in line? Can we use this to justify that? When you read the, script, the scriptures like you read the Constitution, like the Supreme Court and these lawyers and these congressmen and the elected officials read the Constitution, you lose power. But when you read the scriptures like a personal message from God in which he is expressing to you his will, there's a power there. And it empowers you. And it gives you comfort and it gives you peace and it teaches you and it edifies you and it transforms you. What am I talking about? Ephesians chapter 5 is what I'm talking about. Jesus is talking about marriage today. Let's talk about marriage with Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5 is a passage about Jesus. Men like to read Ephesians chapter 5 because Ephesians chapter 5 says, Wives, submit to your husbands. And we say, Yeah! Quit bothering me. Submit to me. Let me watch the football game. All right? Men love chapter 5 of Ephesians. Women also love Ephesians chapter 5 because the next verse says, Husbands, love your wives. Mm-hmm. She's saying, You're supposed to remember my birthday and our anniversary. Our anniversary. Don't ever say it's her anniversary. It's our anniversary. You're supposed to remember Valentine's Day. You're supposed to, oh, I need to be careful. You're supposed to remember holidays. And if she says, let's not get anything for each other for Christmas this year, do not go with that. Now, she's not setting a trap up for you. She's not. But get her a gift, even if she said she don't want one, okay? All right, the Bible says that we're to love our wives. And so if we just look at it from a legalistic standpoint. Wives are to submit to their husbands, and husbands are to love their wives. That's all we see from those scriptures. Then the wife says, my husband's a blooming idiot. Am I still supposed to submit to him? My wife is a shrew. Mine is not. I'm just, this is theoretical. My wife is a shrew. I don't even know what a shrew is, but Shakespeare tamed one one time, and, um, am I still supposed to love her? I mean, do you have any idea how, how difficult she is, all right? Do I still have to love her? And is there a time that I don't have to submit to my husband? Is there a time that I don't have to love my wife? And if that's the way you read the Bible, that's what you're going to come up with. Yeah. So you're going to find a Bible verse or, or something that will justify you're falling short of that. But there's a key verse in Ephesians chapter 5. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32, the Apostle Paul writes, This is a great mystery, mm-hmm. but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Even as he's given the commandments. Men love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submit to your husbands. Let the wives be in subjection to their own husbands as the church is subject unto Christ. What would bring Christ into this? What's God's will for loving our wives and submitting to our husbands? What's God's will? The God's will is for your marriage to reflect the relationship between Christ and his people and his church. The Bible tells us that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for the church 
And as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church, so ought men to love their wives. You see, Christ loved the church that he gave his life for the church. That's how we're to love our wives. God, she's really difficult. God says, <laughs> look who's talking. How many times do we see Jesus getting frustrated with the lack of faith of his disciples? Mm-hmm. They're in the boat. Storm's coming over. Waves crashing over the boat. Jesus is asleep in the back. They wake him up. They didn't say, hey, Jesus, we're a little scared of these waves. No, they said, do you not care that we're dying? That's, Master, carest thou not that we perish, is the way it says it in the King James. And Jesus wakes up and says, oh, ye little faith. There are some that believe that when Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five, he wept out of frustration for the lack of faith that they were showing. All right? Jesus gave his life for his disciples and for his people and for the people. And we fail in our faith in him daily. Yes. We're difficult. We're hard to put up with. The Bible tells us, consider him which which endured the contradiction of such sinners against himself. He put up with a lot, but he gave his life. And here's what he did. When the Bible talks about him giving his life, mainly think about the cross. Yes, 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 yes. But also consider the fact that his entire existence on this earth was about him living for us. Humbling himself to be a carpenter, the carpenter's son. The ministry he had traveling and preaching and teaching and Living with nothing, the only begotten Son of God living as a vagabond preacher. Mm-hmm. Enduring what he had to endure. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately laying down his life to purchase our salvation. Yes. So much Jesus loves you. Yes. And you're pretty difficult and you're pretty hard to put up with. Yeah. I am too. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying that's who we are. That's sin. That's the sin nature, that's, that's, that's just, that's, that's our defect. Yes. Wives submitting to their husbands. As difficult as the disciples could be, as they followed Jesus, you notice they, they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. And they didn't always understand Jesus. They didn't always understand where they were going or what they were doing, but they followed Jesus. The Lord wants our marriages to reflect that kind of relationship. But the important thing, and the most important thing, is we have that kind of relationship with Christ himself. He gave himself for us. We should be subject to him. We should follow him. Whenever I get frustrated with people, it doesn't happen very often because I'm surrounded by such good people. But when I get frustrated with people, I get frustrated with kids. I get frustrated with people I, I deal with in business. Uh, you know, it's, it's just part of life. You know, you, you get frustrated with the drive-thru and they hand you the wrong burger out the window. I mean, you just, these things happen. We have to remember how long suffering and patient has Christ been to me. Yes. And not that it ever is difficult loving Jessica but there are times when in a married couple's lives their personalities kind of bump into each other remember how God loved you how Christ loved you that's how you love your spouse yes 
remember how patient Jesus is with people, the compassion he had on the woman at the well, on, on the multitudes, and have that compassion toward others. See, when we're reading the Bible like the Constitution, we don't see that power. We don't see that motivation. We don't see how all of this has already been given to us. We just see a rule. There's got to be an out. There's got to be a loophole. And we look for it. That's not the way God intended on us to read the Bible. All that said, when we study God's word, we do need to understand, we must understand that it has allowances for man's brokenness. I've compared it to a pressure release valve. If you have one of those on your hot water heater, you don't want that thing going off all the time, do you? No. That's a problem. Yes. But if it's ever needed, you're glad it's there. Otherwise, the entire water heater goes. Yes. And then you have to remodel your garage. And that's never a good thing. No. If you have a garage. Anyway, otherwise it's in the hallway and that's even worse. That's worse. <laughs> so we have to understand that scripture makes allowances for man's brokenness. In verse 5, Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart wrote he this precept. Because God knew man's sin and hardness, he wrote this pressure release valve into his law. Divorce is one of them. Slavery was another. God understood man's hardness and man's sinfulness. And so he wrote laws about slavery. His law did not create slavery. His law told you how to do slavery and demonstrate the gospel in the process. It was a pressure release. It was never God's will. It was never his plan. It was never what he wanted. Some of the most devastating sin in the world has come from man using these pressure release valves as mandates to follow their desires. You see this in how the Pharisees manipulated the laws of divorce. You see this in how some will say, well, what, man, what God has put together, let not man put asunder. And they won't let a woman leave a relationship in which her life is in danger. That, that's, that's manipulating the law. That's manipulating the, the scripture. Because God's will is not for her to be in danger. In the 1800s in the American South, Baptist preachers stood in pulpits justifying the southern practice of slavery by saying it's in the Old Testament. But God's will was never for us to have slavery. And the slavery that was, that was practiced in the American South in the 1800s was not the type of slavery. They were not following God's laws on slavery. If they did, they would have been releasing their slaves every seven years. That didn't happen. And so we have, we're still dealing with the devastation of that. Instead of finding justification in these pressure release valves, we should be finding God's grace. His grace toward the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus said, you have well spoken that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you're with is not your husband. You know what he didn't say? You're just a disgusting adulteress. He didn't say that. He pointed out her background. She knew. What's he doing? He's giving her grace. See, when we find these pressure release valves, these pressure release valves in Scripture, we need to be finding God's grace, not justification. His grace and His instructions to Philemon in verses fifteen and sixteen. Philemon fifteen and sixteen says, "For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, but thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved." You see what God was telling Philemon through the words of the Apostle Paul. 
was this escaped servant, this escaped slave, I'm sending back to you. But he's one of us now. He knows the Lord is his Savior. So when you receive him back, the law gives you the authority to execute him. But you receive him as a brother. Because yeah. he's a brother beloved, especially to me. You see, we don't look for justification in the law. Onesimus, the escaped servant, had stolen from Philemon. He had justice coming to him, but God gave him grace. When we find these pressure release valves in the law, in the scriptures, we need to be seeing God's grace rather than justification for our own sinful attitudes. God's will in scripture is redemption and restoration. These allowances in scripture are designed to provide room for healing so that those who are scarred by sin can be redeemed and restored. Always seek redemption. Always seek restoration. Always seek reconciliation in God's word. And then be obedient to God's word. In verses 11 through 12, Jesus said, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. The Pharisees felt that they could divorce for any reason because there is provision in God's law for divorce. But God's will was not for divorce. Divorce was designed for a wife to be freed from her unloving husband if he didn't want her anymore. Therefore, he would not kill her or sell her into slavery. It was a pressure release and a point of grace for the, for the spouse. This was not a point of righteousness for the husband. The husband didn't get to claim a credit because he got a divorce. It certainly wasn't a good mark on his character. And it definitely was not God's will. It was a rescue operation for his wife. Jesus essentially told the Pharisees that their practices of divorce were nothing more than formalized adultery. See, God looks at your heart. If you're seeking after him and his will, or whether you're just trying to justify yourself. And therefore, as you read the scripture, seek and obey God's will. Your search for self-justification will only turn up empty. Today, we learn that we should seek God's will in the scriptures and not self-justification. Can I justify what I did? That's the wrong answer. The right answer is, what does God want? Amen. And if I have fallen short of that, then my question needs to be, how can I make it right? The Philippian jailer, what he did was illegal in God's law, and it was illegal in Roman law. When Paul told the Philippian jailer not to harm himself, that they were all still there, what was the Philippian jailer's response? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? When he realized he failed to live up to God's standard, his question was, what do I need to do to bring myself back into God's presence, or to bring myself into God's presence to begin with? Mm-hmm. And the apostle Paul told him, to believe on the Lord Jesus and he would be saved Amen. and his house. Yes. 